Good morning, church. It is indeed a blessing to open God's word this morning. We have two readings. Our first reading is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Our second reading comes from Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 to 19. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Judah, Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, whatever you bind on earth, will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Thank you, Rachel, and good morning to everybody. Let me add an opinion that we all share, that of course this morning is an unprecedented morning in the life of churching at Fig Tree Anglican Church, and yes, it is different, but let me also grant some perspective to us all. We could not be experiencing a more normal expression of church than what we have today. You see, historically and geographically, even today, the church of Jesus Christ experiences restrictions, different kinds of restrictions, but not everyone is free to gather and able to gather in the way that they would choose. And so this morning, as we enjoy each other's company, We pause for a moment and we remember the persecuted church around the world where perhaps it's not a virus but the militant threats of others that impose restriction upon those disciples of Jesus and how they might gather. But as I say, historically and globally, there's always been restriction upon how church may gather And so what we experience this morning is thoroughly, thoroughly normal. Now, yes, we don't have a militant force that is restricting us, 
but we should be serious and we should be clear. We do have something that endangers life. Now, a threatened church throughout history and globally knows there are two things at least that are important. We must be conscientious and indeed, brothers and sisters in Christ, we must be confident. Being conscientious means that we do take the advice and adhere to the advice of the health professionals, hence you are at home this morning. Being conscientious means we don't give up, but it means we think carefully about how we can love one another and be wise in exercising our gathering together. This is something that's been evident in church for centuries. If you've ever seen the fish sticker on someone's bumper bar, you are seeing an ancient secret sign. This was the sign that the early church first used to say, church is on, but without making herself a target. The church has been conscientious in making sure that members could gather safely and that the church could be a blessing to those around. But in our reading this morning, we see the other word, not just conscientious, but confidence. Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews indeed speaks to a church that is under restriction, a church that is under persecution, a church that is under threat, and the author to the Hebrews says, be confident. In fact, he says to these people, these ancient people, and says to us today, brothers and sisters, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. You see, the holy place, the most holy place, was a place of restriction once upon a time. For the ancient people of Israel, it was said to be where the presence of God dwelt, and one man, once a year only, could go into that intimate space of meeting with God. But because of the blood of Jesus, because of his sacrifice on the cross and his glorious resurrection, this is a place of no restriction anymore. We have confidence to enter the holy place, confidence to have intimate fellowship with God. And there is not a virus, not a law, not a force that can ever present, prevent those who have faith in Christ from entering into the most holy place and enjoying intimacy with God. And so on this basis, we are told to draw near, to hold on, and to consider. We draw near to God, even on a morning like this morning, for access to him in Christ is unrestricted. Even when you can't come to a building, even when you can't maybe participate in an institution in the way you might be used to, you can come to God through Jesus Christ. We are told in this passage to hold on. We hold on to hope. In this hour, we do not fall down in fear. We hold on to hope in the one who left his tomb empty. The one who faced death, who stared death down and left his tomb empty. The one who has been resurrected promises resurrection for all, for hope in all circumstance, and we hold on to that. And finally, we consider. Now, of course, this passage, Hebrews 10, is famous amongst Christians for reinforcing a custom of meeting together. Let us not give up meeting with one another. But indeed, there is a greater imperative. 
the greater imperative is to be considerate, to continue to think, to continue to wrestle, for it is not just meeting together that's important, it's important for us to consider how in every season, in every climate, through every time, how might the people of God think and work to spur one another on, to move forward in love and good deeds. And so I can't know what's in your heart and mind, but in my heart and mind, I consider this a very special time. I consider this a wonderful time for the people of God to reimagine what it is to be a follower of Jesus. For the people of God to consider, to think, to wrestle how we may spur one another on, to love one another, to be a blessing to our world and to announce the hope that is in Jesus and the intimacy with God that is found through him. As I contemplated this week, what it, why we have this confidence, the words of Jesus that we heard in our second reading have been in my mind. Indeed, if I'm honest, I must say that these words have been in my mind and on my heart for some time. It makes sense that they've been on my mind as the words of Jesus, I will build my church, have been part of our church's vision for this year, 2020. But in what I can only attribute to God's whispers, the words have been on my heart as well. In fact, most weeks as we gather as a team before we start church, I found myself remembering Jesus' words, I will build my church. And some who have been in those prayer meetings with me might remember that from time to time I pray, Lord God, we see the legacy of Jesus' work this morning. As people gather, we see that Jesus is a man of action, not just word. For his church has survived 2,000 years in spite of persecution, in spite of our own dysfunction, Jesus continues to build his church. These words have been on my heart, and so I want to share a little bit of Jesus' words with you this morning. As Jesus speaks to his disciples and indeed to this man, Simon Peter, and shares a little bit of his plan. To do this, I need to take you back to the schoolyard. I don't know how it happened in your primary school, but in my primary school, uh, one of the important arguments was about my dad and yours. Now, I always felt confident in these arguments because my dad's pretty old and my dad was a weightlifter. And so I could often say to my colleagues, my dad's older than yours and so he's smarter than yours. My dad was a weightlifter, and so he's stronger than yours. And many, many arguments in the schoolyard, in my schoolyard, were settled by my dad versus your dad. My dad could beat your dad. Well, perhaps we have the ancient roots of a my dad and your dad as we see Matthew chapter 16, verse 17. Jesus has just asked his disciples, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter has said, you are the Christ of God. Notice the language, there is some my dad and your dad going on. Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Simon, I know who your dad is. You're Jonah's boy. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my dad, my heavenly father. Jesus says to Simon Peter, you're right, I am the Christ, but it wasn't simply a flesh and blood revelation that came to you. 
In fact, it was my dad, my heavenly father, who is active in this world, who has brought this revelation to you and has shown you what is going on beneath surface level. Friends, today we face a situation where we watch our world change and where we must adapt. But surely it's again a season to ask ourselves, what is our heavenly father doing? For our heavenly father is greater than our earthly fathers. Now is the time for us to ask, what is God revealing? You see, this isn't just a simple dysfunction of how our world works. This is God revealing to us that we must cry out for something more. Surely this is God revealing to us that indeed our world is in bondage to decay. Yes, today it's COVID-19. Just a little while ago, we faced fires. And there will be numerous, numerous different calamities that we will face. We must ask ourselves, what is God doing in this season? We ask ourselves, what is God revealing? What is God doing? And brothers and sisters, where is God working? The God who sustains his world, where can we be his hands and feet? Where can we partner with him? Where is God working? You know, a little bit earlier today, we sang the song Cornerstone. Cornerstone refers to a building metaphor. It speaks of Jesus as the one who brings alignment to his church. Jesus as the builder. For in ancient times, the cornerstone was the first stone laid in a dwelling that would give architectural structure and integrity to every stone that was laid after us. It's a good song to sing. Because in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus tells us, I will build. I will build my church. And you'll see verse 18 on your screen now. We have confidence because even on a day like today, as we gather and sit under the word of God, we once again remember that Jesus is building his church. But perhaps one of the most exciting things is what he chooses to build with. Jesus doesn't choose bricks and mortar. Jesus doesn't choose prefabricated steel. Jesus says this to a man called Simon Peter, a man who has just confessed that Jesus is the Christ. He says, Peter, you are rock. You are the stuff I build a church out of. Brothers and sisters, Friends, as you sit in your living room this morning, perhaps you're on public transport, wherever you are, wherever this message greets you, I want you to know something and know it for true. If you confess Christ as Lord, if you have given your life to him, then regardless of where you are or who you are, you are rock. You are the material with which the master builds his church. As Peter was many centuries before us, if you confess Christ to be Lord, then our great Savior is gathering you together with others who confess Christ to be Lord and assembling his church, his church that will prevail for all eternity. Now, as I say, I've been thinking upon this verse for a little while. In God's providence, it's interesting that something in it struck me this week for the first time ever. 
I want to talk to you about keys and I want to talk to you about gates. As I read through and looked at verses 18 and 19, I noticed Jesus' words. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I don't know if you've ever realized this, but Hades has gates, whilst the kingdom has keys. Hades has gates, but the kingdom of God has keys. Hades, this place of the dead, this place of condemnation, is a place in defense mode. Hades is a place that locks in. It ends lives. It separates people from love. It ends joy. It stops, restricts, condemns. It brings misery. But Hades is right to be on guard. For gates are a defense mechanism. Contrast this with the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the church of God has keys. The kingdom of heaven opens doors, brings freedom. The kingdom of God is not on guard. The kingdom of God is on mission. The kingdom of God brings freedom to each and every person who will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and be assembled into his church. The kingdom of heaven is storming the gates of hell, is rescuing sinners from hell for heaven. That nobody anymore might be locked up. That nobody anymore might be condemned. That life may not be stopped. But through the keys that Jesus has purchased by his resurrection, life and hope and eternity might be opened for all who turn to him. As I said, I don't know where this, this message greets you. Perhaps you're sitting in a lounge room with someone who's always in church and you're not regularly here and you're hearing a message like this for the first time. Let me say this to you. Hades is where people are stopped. Hades is where people are condemned. The kingdom of heaven is where there is hope. The kingdom of heaven is where there is freedom. The church of God under Jesus Christ is for all. And so maybe this morning you want to take a moment just to say, Jesus, I confess you the Son of God and I give my life to you. If that is you, then God grants you freedom, God welcomes you into his church, and God grants you eternal life in Christ and intimacy with him. So as we think on these, let me return us to Hebrews and read to you from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 to 38. The author says this, but my righteous one will live by faith and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. Sorry, I'll reverse a little more. I'm going to read from verse 35. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. 
You need to persevere so that when you, have one, when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. And so, friends, as we finish, I would ask if you would join me in a statement of faith coming up on your screen from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39. In your lounge room or wherever this finds you, I invite you to join with me in saying these words. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Let me pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have confidence and that intimacy with you will never, ever be restricted The holy place is a place you welcome us into. And so, Father God, I pray for all of us this morning that we would draw near to you, that we would hold unswervingly to the hope that we have, and that, Father God, as the days and weeks go on, bless us as a church to work together in considering how we might spur one another on to love and good deeds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.